Hello, welcome to Philosophy Gets Schooled. Uh, I'm Simon Kirchin, a philosopher based at the University of Kent. I'm also director of the British Philosophical Association. This is the short episode on sexual relationship ethics. Elsewhere in Philosophy Gets Schooled, um, there is a longer in-depth episode on sexual relationship ethics, uh, where I discuss various topics with Fiona Woolard, Beth McIntosh, and Matt Harris. Uh, but this is the short episode where I try to summarise uh, our discussion and give you a sense of what is on the various uh, curricula. So sexual ethics appears as a topic in both the OCR and the Edexcel Religious Studies and Ethics uh, specifications. It doesn't appear anywhere else, um, but even if it doesn't appear on your specification, you might want to listen to this episode and perhaps uh, dip into the in-depth episode because it might give you uh, ideas for things you might want to write an extended essay on, for example. Um, one thing to say at the start, um, there's various things on that specification um, and uh, in the in-depth episode and also now, um, we do talk a little bit about various sorts of sexual activity and sexual relationship, um, but we try to keep within the specification as much as we can. So if you've been um, discussing this with teachers, and uh, fellow students in the classroom, then I hope uh, you won't be uh, embarrassed by anything we, we talk about. It's certainly not the point. In fact, perhaps uh, this gives me a chance to say something very general. So studying philosophy at A-level or IB or hires, and perhaps certainly if you go on to study philosophy at university, what's really interesting and special about philosophy is that we will discuss big issues and often quite challenging issues because life can often be big and challenging and it's important we can discuss these issues in relative safety taking a cool moment to think our, our way through because at some point at some point in your life either as an individual or as part of a citizen in a country there can be some big difficult issues for us to think through so better to do it in the classroom um, to get ourselves prepared. Okay, so what are some of the topics that are in um, the OCR and Edexcel uh, curricula? Well, there's quite a lot of overlap, actually. So there's discussion of various sorts of sexual relationships you might have in relation to marriage. So obviously, sex within marriage, but also pre- and extramarital sex. There's also different sorts of uh, sexual activity and, and sexual identity. So there's mention of homosexuality. Uh, and heterosexuality, but also you could extend this to bisexuality, and perhaps you might also not mention, but you might want to extend this in your thinking to think about different sorts of gender identity as well, um, such as people identify as non-binary or, or queer. Um, there's also thoughts about reproduction, so the value of um, uh, having sex to have children, uh, but also there's mention in one of the specifications about childlessness. Because both um, OCR and Edexcel are religious studies or religious studies and ethics uh, specifications, there's also some thoughts about how religious thinking has influenced our thinking about sexual activity and sexual relationships. There's a lot of mention of the natural law tradition, but also you might want to think about other ethical stances which can or, or needn't be um, uh, religious, so you can think about utilitarianism, deontology as broad ethical stances in relation to um, sexual relations and activity. And so there's this general sense about how much our religious thinking has influenced uh, society and how we think about sex, but also how secular thinking might influence our thinking about sex as well. 
So we talk about quite a few of these uh, topics in the in-depth uh, discussion, but not all of them and not all of them by name. Um, but we come at this in a slightly different way, which I hope will be interesting and, and gel nicely with, with what's being discussed in the classroom. So after an introduction where we talk through uh, a few of these things, um, in the rest of the first segment, um, we talk about um, interventions and rules and principles and laws. So here I am, I'm an individual. I have a certain sort of sexual identity, certain sort of sexual appetite, certain sort of relationships that I want to have or, or that I do have. And perhaps I've, I'm in a relationship with someone else. And that might be a long-term relationship or it might be a very casual relationship. We might not know each other very well at all. But, and this is a crucial thing, let's imagine for argument's sake, there's some form of consent. Um, so here's a question, why should the state or other people, perhaps religious groups, or just anyone, what gives those other people, or the whole society, justification for intervening into the relationship and the activity that I have, and that I have with, with someone else? Uh, so just to give you some concrete examples, obviously through history, uh, homosexuality is being criminalized. Um, thinking about some very extreme examples, which you mentioned once or twice in the in-depth interview, but aren't mentioned uh, by name in the in the specification, you can think about uh, very difficult relationships such as incest. Um, what uh, gives the state or religious groups the right, the justification to intervene and outlaw certain sorts of sexual activity uh, and uphold other sorts of sexual activity and sexual relationship. I'm not saying that that's anything goes, right? So we certainly want, might, might, might want to think about uh, that and, and agree with it. But really what we're thinking about as philosophers is where is the justification coming from, right? What gives a state, for example, justification to have certain sorts of laws that intervene into seemingly consensual free relationships? Of course, something we do mention is that, of course, in many relationships, there may not be consent or consent may be um, very hard to achieve. And so we think a little bit about that anyway. But there's a there's a big discussion we have in that first segment about um, state or religious group or other intervention into relationships that people have. And that leads nicely into the second segment. So we think then through about one way in which you might want to say, look, this is a basic justification. We think about the natural law tradition. Natural law tradition uh, takes inspiration from work from Aristotle, ancient Greek philosopher, and obviously a person who did uh, much to think about the natural law tradition and develop it, particularly in relation to um, uh, sexual ethics, but, but in, in relation to many other things as well, was uh, Thomas Aquinas, and then brought up to date uh, with a modern philosopher and religious thinker uh, and legal philosopher called John Finnis. And basically a natural law tradition, or indeed any sort of tradition of, of this type, will say there's a natural sort of function or way of being or set of activities or goods that uh, human beings should have, should aim for, should set, set the standard really for how their life should be viewed. And with the natural law tradition, uh, particularly as it's, it's found in uh, Aquinas and Finnis, that's obviously going to have um, uh, religious import as, as well. So they're going to be thinking about what God has, has ordained. 
But the basic idea of a natural law tradition is teleological. So that comes from the word telos, which means end. So there's a basic sort of end set of goods that we should be aiming for. And once you have that sort of framework, you can specify what those ends or goods might be. Um, so we do talk a little bit about the differences between Aquinas and Finnis. So Aquinas does think about procreation uh, and sexual activity is important for procreation and uh, just creating more people, um, more of God's children. Once you've got that sort of framework of having goods and ends in mind that you're aiming for, then you can judge any sort of activity in relation to that standard. Uh, and then, so therefore, you've got some justificatory basis for saying this sort of sexual relationship or this sort of sexual activity is good or acceptable or permissible, and this sort isn't. And of course, how you fill in those goods, those ends, of course, is going to be controversial because some sorts of activity will be seen as permissible, perhaps even obligatory, and some won't be. And indeed, some people, some philosophers, um, cast doubt on the whole idea of teleology, that there's some preordained um, or ideal good end that we should all be aiming for that's good for, for human beings. So lots going on there. We move from thinking about natural law tradition and thinking about functions into lots of other topics um, that's, that come up. In particular, in the third segment, uh, we think about um, a basic question, which is what's the value of sex? And we think about this in relation to um, couples and groups you know, across society, but also individuals and what their relationship is with, with their sexual identity. And there's a really interesting, um, not so much paradox or contradiction, but some kind of tension um, which we raise. Um, and it goes like this. There seems to be something special and different about sex compared with, and the example we use is tennis. So while some people do occasionally mind if they've been playing tennis with someone and then that person goes off and starts playing tennis with someone else, we don't think it's as terrible as, in normal circumstances, um, our sexual partner going off and having sex with someone else. There seems to be something special, different about the sexual relationships that we have by and large. And yet, if you're a liberal thinker, you want you might want to say, well, yes, but we don't want to use that to close down certain things. Sometimes um, people can have a range of sexual partners and that be okay. We don't want to have any laws against that, though sometimes we might be morally, um, might think that's morally dubious or, or suspicious. Um, and indeed, sometimes, and we, we voice this a, a bit in the in the in-depth episode, Sometimes having a break from um, one sexual partner and going away with another sexual partner can actually enliven one's own sexual life and enliven uh, the, the sexual life of with one's original partner. Um, and so thinking through those issues, the relationship that one has with sex, that one has with various people, both on a sexual level and a kind of loving level, is kind of very, very interesting. In fact, perhaps I should say that philosophy of sex is kind of really interesting issue. Many, not many professional philosophers are thinking about it at the moment, but it has gained a lot of traction in recent years. There's lots of interesting work going on. We actually end by thinking about those people who are asexual, um, people who see value in their lives by being celibate. 
And that might be for a whole host of reasons, perhaps in their life or different parts of their life, they're just indifferent towards sex. They don't see it as that important. Or perhaps some people um, might be might have had some terrible relationships and they have a, a, a very much an aversion towards sex for all sorts of complicated and difficult reasons. So we think a little about that uh, at the end. Um, so I hope that gives you enough of a summary of what's going on in sexual and relationship ethics. There's lots more going on in the um, specifications for OCR and Edexcel. We don't, um, don't discuss all of it in, in the in-depth episode, but I hope this summary and the in-depth episode will help you. Mm -hmm.